Welcome to Navigating the Future, One Decision at a Time. I'm your host, Alex DeBrain, and in this series I'll be sharing a chapter per episode of my memoir, Escaping the Amazon, for those that would prefer to listen to it instead of reading it. Hopefully some of the decisions I made through my journey can help some of you navigate the chaos we call life. Subscribe to my podcast, follow me on Twitter at AlexTheBrain1, or subscribe to my mailing list on AlexTheBrain.com to stay up to date as I release each episode. Any comments or feedback is always welcomed and encouraged, so please drop me a mail on info at alexthebrain.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Chapter 5. Job. An elite soldier, you will train vigorously, you will maintain your weapon as if it were your most precious possession, you will keep your body in peak of condition always fit. We were usually oblivious as to how easy it was to die in the Amazon. In combat, the jungle itself was often a bigger threat than the enemy. On occasion, legionnaires went missing, only to be discovered drowned with a foot stuck between twisted roots. On one of Connor's missions, he was tasked with clearing a fallen tree which was impeding the section's footpath. I didn't believe in karma, but I was sometimes tempted to. As Connor stood on the trunk of the assessed situation, a nasty sergeant who seated a grudge against him shoved him off the tree into a sharp woody bush. Depeshtoa! The sergeant shouted and jumped over the stump, showing Connor how to get the job done. But a second later, he crumbled into a ball and gripped his ankle, bawling like a baby. Connor got up to help and saw a pitch black snake with a distinct white stripe across the side of his head slither away. Connor quickly called a medic to inspect the sergeant's leg. Just above a boot was a clear bite mark. After hearing the description of the serpent, the medic immediately got on the satellite phone. Medivac, come in! We need immediate assistance! Not able to hear the other side of the call, Connor and the rest of the section were left guessing what happened next. Roger that, the medic ended the call. How long before the chopper arrives? Should we start clearing the area for evacuation? Connor asked, ever eager to aid his tormentor. They're not coming, the medic mumbled. Say that again? The sergeant protested as he sat up. They're not fucking coming, the medic stressed for all that he heard. Based on the description of the snake, if the bit you properly, you'll be dead by the time they get here. We have been ordered to carry your body out, but they did have the courtesy to suggest we make you comfortable before you die. Are you fucking kidding me? The sergeant pleaded in a panic. Call those cocksuckers again. I'm a fucking sergeant. They can't just leave me to die. The medic seemed unperturbed by the sergeant rant and dug in his med pack. He pulled out a small syringe and a tiny glass vial. Like the insane asylum scene in B film, the burliest men approached the sergeant from behind and held him immobile while the medic jabbed him with sedative. The sergeant immediately became happy and docile. Connor, put up his hammock and make him comfortable, the medic instructed. Say your goodbyes and then set up your own bivacs, the corporal added. Around the bite, the sergeant's leg was slowly changing colour, now all the way up to his calf. After everyone had said their farewells, they lit a fire and opened a bottle of rum, which they had confiscated from the smugglers. Not expecting to see the sergeants alive the next morning, they toasted as if ready at his funeral. Is there a priest amongst us? 
asked the medic nonchalantly. Nobody responded. Finally, a quiet legionnaire raised his hand fitfully. I was raised Protestant and studied the Bible as a youth. I am a sinner, but I can lead us in prayer, he said. A Muslim legionnaire gave his respects in Arabic. While Connor stayed up to keep the dying man company, the rest of the section fell asleep. But when light broke through the jungle ceiling the next morning, they were all amazed to see that the sergeant had somehow survived. Lazarus! It's a bloody miracle! The medic announced as he checked his vitals. A stretcher was made from the tree branches in the legionnaire's combats, and the sergeant was carried back to the base, to the front door of the first responders. The heart of the Amazon was still largely unexplored, and new tropical diseases were often discovered when troops returned from the interior ill or dying. Though we were inoculated for some illnesses, I'd met legionnaires who contracted malaria, dengue or yellow fever. The latest French medicine helped, but there was no sure way to avoid those ailments other than to pray for that one infected mosquito select a different victim. Many an Amazon explorer had come and gone, often losing his mind, or worse. The lost city of Z was the name given by Colonel Percy Harrison Fawcett, a mad British surveyor to an indigenous city that he believed had existed in the jungle of the Matao Grosso region. Based on early histories of South America and his own explorations, Fawcett theorized that a sophisticated civilization once existed and that isolated ruins may have survived as proof. He died under mysterious circumstances in search of it. After one mission in the interior, I noticed a ringing in my ear and diminishing hearing. It was initially a blessing to not hear our corporals barking in my face. I suspected that I damaged my hearing during a firing exercise a few days prior, yet I'd worn earplugs the whole time. I then considered that the river water might have permeated my middle ear. By the end of the day, I could barely hear anything. The next morning, I slept through the company-wide reveille. It wasn't long before a corporal stormed in to sort out my sleepy head, who didn't think the rules applied to them. My roommates were packed and ready as he started shouting, but it sounded as if I was hearing him from the bottom of the swimming pool. He slapped me hard across the ear. When I lifted my head, his mouth stopped moving, and his anger subsided, for he realized that something was wrong. I turned to look at my pillow, and it was covered in blood. When I then faced the corporal, he was pointing at my ears, which were warm and wet from when I touched them. Unimpressed by the blood pouring from my head, I got one more blow for good measure before he stormed out. The legion always believed that any medical ailment could be remedied with a fist. But ten minutes later, the corporal barged back in with a medic in tow, agitated that he now had to deal with this right before his emplement. Despite his brutishness, the corporal mustered a genuinely concerned demeanour as he instructed me to lie back down while I was worked on. The medic had one look inside my ear and ordered me to follow him. I wasn't instructed to simply check into the infirmary. I was told to sprint my ass down there immediately. We hopped, skipped and jumped our way across the manicured gardens and the parade ground to get there. My head felt like an overinflated balloon as warm blood ran down my neck. The only sound I heard was my heart beating. A French army doctor col collected me at the door with a brief exchange of words between him and the medic. I was placed on a gurney, poked and prodded and swallowed a cocktail of pills in an attempt to stabilise my condition. During all of this turmoil, I was never given any shred of information as to what actually was wrong with me.
After the first week in my isolated room, I was worried about whether I'd ever hear again. My heart was no longer throbbing out of my chest, and the bleeding had ceased, yet I was still mostly deaf. The doctors more concerned about their wives in Paris and their overseas bonuses didn't seem to be too worried, and when I did have the nerve to ask what, my, what was ailing me, I couldn't understand what they were saying. I wasn't about to fight the system and just rode out the experience in hopes of recuperating. Being unharassed, rashed and traumatised were rare in the Legion, and my stay in hospital allowed me to indulge in the undiscovered intellectual pleasures, namely literature. As a youth, surrounded by the temptations of rugby and girls, I was never drawn to reading. However, the depths of boredom illuminated even that which was previously mundane. Any mental escape or flight of fantasy would do. When the real-life Count Dracula, Vlad Tepes, was finally imprisoned, he killed the time impaling flies and twigs. I had no idea how the American classic A Farewell to Arms by Ernest Hemingway ended up in my nightstand in Guyane, but I devoured it, fantasizing about fighting in the Spanish Civil War, bearing arms for ideals and dying heroically for just a cause. Two days later, I picked up the re- recent tome, Kite Runner, by Khalid Husseini. In it, I imagined running around my family farm, challenging Ami to a kite battle. Before I got carried away by it all, I'd be poked by an orderly and told to take my pills. As I looked out my window, I'd see sections returning from missions or a course. The most raggedy bunch of men I saw were those who had just finished the notorious advanced jungle warfare course at Sefe Jungle Training Center. A few of them suffered from the same condition as me, but regardless of their desperate state, they were all elated to have earned their steam jungle badge, the ultimate test of manhood. As such, my next two weeks continued until one morning when I woke up to the most beautiful sound of a cuckoo chirping in the distance. Like Ebenezer Scrooge on Christmas Day, I flung open my window and praised my beloved foreign legion for restoring my hearing. The doctor explained that I'd somehow irritated my inner ear with earplugs, a cotton swab while souring that the witch's brew of bacteria in the rivers found a cosy space to colonize and multiply, leading to swelling and closure of the ear canal. I was lucky to have received medical attention early on. In true legion fashion, once I was barely able to walk unassisted, I was chucked back into my section. Did the doctors fix the boo-boo in your ear? asked the corporal who had previously smacked me. They better have, because you need to pack your rucksack. We're sending your ass off to the advanced jungle training course. Get moving. This course was coveted not only by every legionnaire, with only a few given the opportunity, but by every other military force in the world. It was common for participants to lose a kilogram of weight per day. Rumours and fear mongering abounded as we feverishly prepared for what even the most hardened men dreaded. I would now finally prove myself not only to my company and my commander, but simply to myself. To make things still sweeter, Connor would be joining me. Still recovering, I wasn't sure if I was ready for this after lying in bed for weeks. But like all things in the Legion, we learned by the baptism of fire. I'd come to Guyane for this. Go big or go home. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Depeche-toi, put on a mat! I heard even before our transport came to an halt. Saute, saute, saute! The shouting continued. Push-ups! The finishing command that every legionnaire expected.
hadn't even a chance to see where or from whom the shouting had come. But it didn't matter. We knew what to do. Just drop your head, grit your teeth and embrace the suck. Fatigue and adrenaline made my arms tremble as we approached the 70th push-up. Swasandi! We shouted in unison. Some guys barely making it up. Flash grenades were thrown around between us. The pressing jungle heat was suffocating as we gasped for air between presses. Rampe la car! The next order came as we all dropped to the ground and crawled our way to the ropes hanging on the far side of the muddy terrain. Monte! Jartre continued. Connor jumped up, being the first one at the ropes and ready to climb. As he situated his feet with his back erect and his flash, a flash grenade flew over our heads and dealt a blow to his side. After the violent thud, his wind knocked out from him. He instantly fell to his stomach. That was enough of a warning for us to always start the ascent from a lying position. As I climbed, my hands blistered as the mud made it impossible to grip the rope without slipping. Five minutes in and the course was already living up to his expectations. I'm alive, I thought to myself as a sergeant barked out more orders. He came and shouted in my face and I was useless. I loved it. Sergeant Petrov was a tall, broad-shouldered blonde, almost white-haired son of a bitch. His ugly mug was covered in acne scars and his eyes carried the years of danger and death he'd experienced in the Amazon. Orwell quipped that by age 50, everyone has the face he deserves. This guy jumped the queue by 20 years. He sported a mullet in defiance of all military regulations to show everyone that this was his hellhole where he called the shots. I love the smell of napalm in the morning, he shouted in a thick Russian accent as he threw his hands in the air, showing us he had already lost his mind. It smells like victory! We managed to shout from the muck we were mollowed in. Enough bullshit! Rassemblement! Finally, I thought as we scurried off, barely able to carry our own weight to the formation area. Depistoi! Sergeant Petro kept at it, as we were obviously moving too slow for his taste. For the next two weeks, your souls belong to me. Your rank does not matter. All that matters is my command. Petrov dictated as he marched up and down in front of us with his hands crisply behind his back. Take off your rank, chevrons, your name badges and your berets. Grab one of these bucket hats with a number on it, guard it with your life. From now on, you are nothing but a number to me. There are only three rules here, Sergeant Petrov continued. One, the only words you are allowed to say is we, Sergeant. Two, the only time you're allowed to stand still is when I call assemblement and when you are sleeping. The rest of the time you will be running, even if you're waiting. Three, whenever you start or finish a task, you shout, Silva! Am I clear? We, oui, Sergeant! We all barked in unison. It takes me five minutes to walk down to the river and get into the powerboat, Sergeant Petrov continued. Once I'm there, I'm leaving. If you, your rucksacks, your fummers, or your food, water are not in the boats, You'll be swimming after me, with all your gear tied to your back. Action! Silva! Pandemonium broke out as everyone scattered about like headless chickens. Seconds later, our senior leads established order over the mob. A few of us got smacked across the head. Each legionnaire was instructed to add value where they saw fit. Dokle! Sakador avec le Depistoi! I threw my gear and 20 litres of water bottles onto my back. Kone! Lavbouf! 
We cobra! Connor responded as he ran up beside me. This is fucking awesome! Connor whispered in my ear as he grabbed his rucksack and a case of rations. You still seriously love this shit? We just kind of like it, I squeaked. I love it! Connor was no mere mortal. We panted and ran down the hill towards our powerboat. The rest of our section behind us was also stumbling down the slope, overloaded with sack crates and whatever else we needed for the next two weeks. We looked like a colony of worker ants carrying enormous loads, chasing after the queen who was about to relocate the nest. Except that our queen was far from comforting or regal, and our new nest was a muddy pit in the middle of the Amazon. Sergeant Petrov started the countdown. This nerf! Wait! Bodies and cargo were thrown into the two metal boats, each with a sturdy 100-horsepower outboard motor. The side of the vessels were painted in camouflage drab. Inside were rows of wooden benches with us to sit two by two. Connor was then sent back to fetch more water. Set! Cease! Set! I looked back to see where who was missing, only to see Connor running towards us and then falling head first ten meters from the boat. Putting his body on the line, he focused on keeping the water out of harm's way and used his face to break the fall of his 110 kilogram body. Quatre, trois, deux. As if Connor had planned the move the whole time, he tucked in, rolled twice and then popped back onto his feet with a mouthful of mud. He tossed me in the load and hurtled his body towards the boat. Uh, action! Sergeant Petrov howled, not concerned whether Connor would make the leap or not. Our powerboat sped off as Connor barely got his arm inside it. As he was dragged through the water, his hands began to slip down the side, taking his body closer to the propeller, now at full speed. I leant over, grabbed the back of his combats and pulled him in safely. Drenched, Connor lay there panting. What the fuck? He grumbled as he sat up, grasped his famas and took his place. The powerboats took us across the river and several kilometres up the bank where we were slow to approach a jetty protruding out of the jungle. As we moored the vessel, the mud rush began again, this time with better coordination than we had previously achieved. Corporals directed the flow as we unloaded. Sergeant Petrov watched from a distance. As soon as he saw an idle body, he flew into rage. Number four! Are you fucking holiday? Drop and give me push-ups until your comrades are finished. Enjoy your break, put that a man. He yelled as a vein in his neck pulsated. Hushed sniggers ran through the section, so number four was a sergeant. Rassemblement! Petrov howled as if the last ration box to touch the floor was his cue. We scrambled 20 metres up a steep muddy hill to the only fat piece of ground we could see in the next two weeks. Measuring roughly 20 by 20 metres, to the right was an obstacle course with an array of ropes between different structures. To the back left were muddy technical obstacles. The former was the individual course, which every man would have to complete. The latter was the team obstacle course. The record time for it was 45 minutes and had stood for several years. The slowest time was seven hours by the visiting US Marine Corps contingent. Away off was a steep, muddy 45-degree footpath that fed into the jungle. It had been eroded for by years of rain showers and boots, making it look more like a kid's slip and slide from hell. How the fuck are we going to get up there with our gear? I muttered to Connor. I bet we're about to find out, he replied with a smirk. Sergeant Petrov began shouting, and within seconds we were all standing in formation, which was good progress from the earlier mayhem. That opinion was short-lived. 
You thought this would be a tropical holiday with cocktails and free whores. When I say ressemblement, I mean immediately. The entire section groaned as everyone braced for what was coming. Now grab your fummers, straighten your arms and hold it out in front of you. With the fummers weighing less than 4 kilograms, it seemed a reasonable task. However, after 45 seconds, our arms were aflame. After a minute, a sharp pain shot into my shoulders. Another minute, and our backs trembled as we compensated by leaning backwards. We grimaced and groaned, but nobody wanted to be the first to dip even for an inch. By minute three, my mind filtered out irrelevant stimuli, including Sergeant Petrov's commands. I focused solely on my shoulders, which now felt like they were holding up an entire armed personal carrier. Push-ups, kurva! Sergeant Petrov bellowed after my arms eventually collapsed. I dropped to the ground and gave him 20. Now able to give my other muscles a break, the push-ups never felt so good. I got up slowly as if possible to delay continuing the previous torture. He shouted, seeing that not one of us could hold our thumbs longer than 10 seconds at a time. By this point, my excitement dwindled, as I was now utterly spent. It was clear that my weeks in the infirmary had deteriorated my level of fitness. Yet I stood erect and controlled my breathing to hide my weakness from Sergeant Petrov. Poker face, Alex, I thought to myself. This fucker won't break you. It is now 530 as you know, the sun has gone by six. You have until then to get all your gear up the hill, set up your bivac. Take the stairway to hell. Number 12, do you know why we call it that? Je ne sais pas, sergeant. I shouted, not knowing if it was a trick question, for we were only allowed to answer we, sergeant. Because every morning you'll descend here to join yours truly in hell, where I'll turn you into the best Amazon warriors the world has ever seen. Despite my fatigue, his words lit a fire in me. Everyone bowed up as we basked in the short moment of paternal mentoring. We were his new project, and in set Sergeant Petrov we trusted. Action! Silva! We yelled in unison. Petrov delighted in watching everybody scramble up the stairway to hell, once again seeking out any laggards. He had an eye like a hawk and moved like a snake through the jungle. As soon as we thought he was out of sight and we could catch a quick breath, he'd magically appear like a leprechaun shouting, Push-ups, Grava! We would drop to the mud to slog out a few pathetic push-ups, regretting cutting any corners under his charge. Only years later did I remember an odd image that burned itself into my memory. While the mass of legionnaires were scrambling about eating mud, as Sergeant Petrov basked in his delight across the bank stood an indigenous elder. He watched with curiosity while the crazy mess of so-called civilized men ran around like buffoons, destroying their own members. Between breaths, I caught a glimpse of the indigenous man walking up into the forest, either confused or saddened. By six o'clock, our bivouac was up. I expected to be robbed of all but a few hours of sleep, but that wasn't quite the case. The legion wasn't going soft on us, though. In the Amazon, the sun rose and set around 6 o'clock, with the forest being dangerous even at high noon, and moving around after dark was suicidal. Only in the Legion was a 7-day, 12-hour work schedule considered an undeserved treat. Like warring Afghan tribes who ceased fighting during Ramadan, we organised our schedule around Mother Nature. But within every workday, Sergeant Petrov packed in more bullshit than a Texas feedlot. 
Every movement or task was conducted by gymnastique. And if we ran out for work, he'd give us any other sadistic exercise that came to mind from duck walks, walking on your haunches, to holding out a fumus while squatting in a sitting chair position. Each evening we descended to the riverbed for our daily shower. Naked male flesh waded into the murky waters, with snapping turtles waiting to chomp off any juicy appendages. But our biggest nightmare was the kanduru fish, a tiny barbed predator that is attracted to urine and embeds itself into the penis. Removal without surgery was impossible, and the pain was excruciating enough for men to sever the member or commit suicide. Piranhas also trolled the waters. We had to wash our combats, boots, socks and underpants to be clean and fresh the next morning. We would then walk up the muddy stairway to hell back to camp, getting filthy in the process, set up our bivac and hit the hammock for a night. Some men would chat and laugh until a random sergeant lost his temper, chucked a filthy boot and shouted a string of explicit through to the jungle. And then silence. For six o'clock ressemblement, our bivac needed to be packed up our rations divided out for the day, boots polished, and all of us at attention. Sergeant Petrov would briskly inspect our uniforms. Even in the midst of unending mud, sweat, and lack of soap, parade standards had to be kept for the duration of the course. And as expected, there was also a wrinkle and a crooked collar that warranted a collective punishment, which left us and our clean combats covered again in muddy saliva and sweat. We would then be instructed on how to navigate one or more group obstacles to prepare us for the time test towards the end of the second week. We'd be brief on the day's schedule and then be given tasks, each interspersed with more running to and fro until sundown. Each lesson was based on one of three major principles, jungle, warfare, jungle survival and teamwork. The itinerary built upon itself leading to our final days when we would be dropped into the rainforest for the special assignment. During one survival module, we hiked up to a makeshift amphitheater where we were introduced to the local Amazonian who would teach us everything we need to know about the jungle. We had no idea where the legion found this aesthetic hermit, for he was neither Guyanese nor Brazilian. The rainforest was his home. His passport must have read Jungleistan, he took great pride in teaching us the way of his unique homeland. Every eye glazed over. My section was either wholly enthralled by this holy man or just happy to get away from Sergeant Petrov for a few hours. His instruction was clearer and more informative than anything I'd heard in the Legion. We learned how to make more rope, how to use it to climb trees, and how to create a backpack, all with a humble palm leaf. We were taught where to find our food and how to prepare it. Every type of fruit, egg, bug or plant that could be eaten was arranged in front of us to inspect, feel and taste. We were also shown a variety of common poisonous plants which could be used either as a weapon or medicine depending on the dosage. How many people had to die to confirm this knowledge? I wondered, captivated by the Amazonian's comprehension. The most interesting noxious plant was the angel's trumpet, a flower used by shaman to produce lucid dreams, which in turn are analysed and diagnosed diseases or predict misfortune. If used in excessive doses, 
It could also cause death. Communicating with Jim Hendricks seemed a good excuse to get high, and depending on the hit, it may have been an experience to die for. Our day passed in the blink of an eye, and as the jungle started to cool, evening approached, and with it, Sergeant Petrov. He announced. We all scampered to our places as quickly as possible. Smack! I heard the sound of pain behind and turned to see Connor in the fetal position after dropping a load of jerry cans, filled with water. Like a quivering dog, he got up and darted in the opposite direction of the pain. Why aren't you ladies running? Sergeant Petrov shouted as he reached for the next unfortunate victim. Instantly, the whole section began trotting, not wanting to receive another blow of, of our own. Being exceptionally tall made Connor the favourite whipping boy, to be made an example of, or to be used as the section's mule. True to form, he took it all in his stride and never muttered a complaint. We were soon back at our bush camp to set up and get a night's reprieve from Sergeant Petrov. Being mindful of the morrow's timed obstacle course, we all wanted to rest as much as possible to prove who was the best commando amongst us. See you ladies in the morning, Sergeant Petrov boded. Salva! Every man was already up before Reve, packed and ready to go, for this was marathon day. I marveled at the variety of typical, unique or bizarre preparation rituals. Some carbo-loaded on double rations, others engaged in yoga stretches. I simply looked to the heavens and asked my dad in heaven to watch over us, and for Yanni to ride shotgun with me on this drive. One could slice the anxiety in the air with a machete, like Greek Olympians before the competition, we would have devoured raw testicles if given the opportunity. As usual, we descended to the stairway to hell to meet our puppet master at six sharp. I felt like an ancient gladiator walking through underground corridors towards mano a mano battle. Everyone was silent. I thought back to instruction when our attitude was akin to that of forced conscripts. Yet here in the heart of the Amazon, reserved for the creme of each section, every man was high on testosterone and fanatically competitive. The first event was the individual effort, and teamwork was out the window. We dropped our gear on the ground, our farmers beside it, and stood at attention in perfect rectangular formation. Nobody moved a muscle, for we were ready. The faint sound of outboard motors could be heard in the distance. Sergeant Petrov was approaching. Morning, ladies, Petrov said crisply, announcing his presence. Standing at the helm of his powerboat, Today we will crown the best of the best. Are you ready? Tsova! Shall we get started? Time for a little warm-up. All of you, down and give me 50. I don't want any of you straying in pictorial while pulling yourself over the obstacles. If you're going to fail, let's get out of the way now. By the time we were limp from exhaustion, Sergeant Petrov finally declared that we were limber enough to take on the test. Number one, you're up. Silva! We systematically queued in order behind a pole planted at the foot of the muddy formation ground, which served as a start and finish line. Action! Petrov shouted as the first participant shuffled away to confront the first of the three earthen obstacles. They were interspersed with wet ones, which had to slog or swim through. Our Olympic-level swimmer, Connor, had a distinct advantage over us mere mortals in that respect. A few guys finished before I was up. They stomped their way to the finish pole to stop the clock and then flopped to the ground entirely spent. Number 12! 
3, 2, 1. Sergeant Petrov counted down as it was now my turn. Go, 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 kurva! I flung my body at the obstacles with utter disregard for my physical well-being. I chose to jump off of a three-meter wall and save a few seconds rather than climb down safely. My heart was in my throat and my lungs tasted of blood. Yet every fiber in my body was fighting the arch opponent, the clock. As I lugged myself over the final obstacle, I could see the finish pole and a few more blokes lying on the floor beside it. As soon as my feet finally touched the ground, I started sprinting. My boots felt like 50 kilogram dumbbells. It took every last morsel of energy to finish, as I had absolutely nothing more to give. Leave it all in the ring. Knock out your opponent. Never let it go to the judges. Silva! I shouted and collapsed with my fellow legionnaires. After a real nail-biter, it was time to crown our champion. Number seven, come up for your handshake. You are today's fastest finisher. Sergeant Petrov announced nonchalantly for the Legion's typical anticlimactic celebration of personal achievement. As her own mad Aussie, Connor turned towards Petrov. A slight smirk of pride emerged from Connor of his mouth. Once a warrior, always a warrior. Whether it was in the clear, chlorinated water or the muddy cesspit, the man earned every bit of that win. Why the hell are you ladies just standing around? Sergeant Petrov asked, returning to his customary demeanour. Drop and give me 50. A tiger never changes his stripes. Silva! We shouted, though we could barely budge, much, much less do a push-up. Thought you were done for the day, huh? Next we move on to the team obstacle course. The fuck? I thought that shit was tomorrow. I grunted to Connor as we continued to do the push-ups. Evil bastard. Each obstacle will be gauntlet of sorts. It will take teamwork and coordination to overcome them, Sergeant Petrov continued. I'll assess from all angles, seeing who has the best leadership, who has the best listening skills, and who has the best judgment in attacking each obstacle. Action! We struggled up, recouped, and immediately took on the course. It was natural for the corporals and the sergeant to take the lead. We systematically worked through the initial obstacles with relative confidence, pacing, and logic. With nothing to compare our performance to, we had no idea that we were progressing too cautiously and too slowly. Nonetheless, I finally appreciated how the Legion's clunky ways of doing the most menial tasks ultimately worked in an elaborate chess game where pawns laboured towards a common goal. Hanging upside down from a three-metre-high obstacle and carefully passing a massive log, not allowed to touch the ground, between my arms punctured our role in the Legion. We had to trust our superior's logic and best practices to get the log from one side to the next. Our leads had to trust that we would risk our lives to keep it from dropping. Our calling was to do the stupid things, like lug five guys over a muddy wall and into quicksand, but there was somehow an exceptional beauty to it. We ended up finishing the team obstacle course ten minutes slower than the expected time, which was none of us took lightly. Sergeant Petrov sure as hell let us know that we had failed. Did you faggots drop your lipsticks in the mud? Give me 50. I would have completed that course on my own quicker than you could pull you up your panties. After the push-ups, we moved halfway up the stairway to hell for the third and presumably the final test. It was another individual course made up of a web of ropes between poles and trees. If anything so much as a bootlaced touched the ground, we'd have to start over. 
The gauntlet progressed from having to walk a tightrope between trees, which usually became a sloth crawl while clinging upside down, to swinging like Tarzan from one hanging rope to another. Connor's height, which gave me the advantage in this muddy course, wasn't going to help him one bit in this scenario. One Czech ex-gymnast left us all in the dust as he crossed the rope like a stone skipping across the river. All of the three courses, our bodies were demolished. Every muscle was in agony, and our hands were cramped and bleeding. Grit had chafed our groins and armpits. Our joints were tender and swollen. But as feared, our day had only just begun. Rassemblement! Sergeant Petrov trumpeted. Exhausted, we all sluggishly moved back down the stairway of hell. Grab your famas and your machete and get into the power boat. Put your, put your faces down on the floor and don't look up, he instructed us. We obeyed. As we kissed the steel hull, the engines roared and we ploughed down the river. Where to? Nobody knew. After half an hour, the boat slowed and pulled into a break into the jungle. We were ordered to disembark. Two kilometres down this river on the other side is safety, Sergeant Petrov explained as we tried to find our bearings. You'll have to survive three days in the Amazon with nothing more than what you have on you. Your famous jungle knife and your newfound knowledge. In that time, you were somehow built by hand, two rafts secure enough to carry the entire section to safety. Shit, I muttered to Connor. You will erect a shelter, you'll craft every conceivable trap, and you'll have to eat whatever you catch. See you ladies in three days, or not. Sergeant Petrov jeered as he lit a cigarette, climbed back onto his powerboat and sped off. After that morning hell, our bodies were screaming for food. We were already dehydrated and hadn't eaten for the day. Connor started chopping a pathway into the jungle. Our first priority was to build a secure shelter while we still had daylight. It also needed to be raised off the ground if we wanted to avoid creepy crawlies and other unpleasant predators that inhabited the jungle floor. Instinctively, half of my section set out and found a prepared sufficiently large clearing, while the other half started chopping down branches to use for the shelter's base. We lifted the base a meter above the floor, but it was only large enough for a dozen romantic couples to snuggle. A roof support was made out on the same branches and then covered with layers of palm leaves, such that rain would run off without seeping through the, onto us. We then split into three groups according to our best skills. One hunted animals and searched for water, and the other set traps, and the third began constructing rafts. Nightfall came quite quickly, and our hunting and gathering efforts of the first day were short-lived, leaving us starving. We started a fire from the scarce dry tinder we could find, and fed it with damp wood. It provided some warmth for those huddled around it, and the smoke deterred predators. Despite our exhaustion, nobody slept much. At the crack of dawn, we slowly emerged from our holes, took a breath, and immediately got back to work without muttering a word. Connor and I were on raft duty that morning and were chopping down a large tree earmarked for the form of, to form the base. I knotted the deck to the foundation with the rope I had made out of the palm leaves. Soon we barely had enough energy to swing our tools. In the jungle, inattention, fatigue and sloppy practice can be deadly. Ouch! Bastard! Connor snapped as he jumped up. A buggy bloody bit me! I rushed to save my comrade in distress. Look at the bright side. If you die from the bite, we can all eat your carcass and not worry about hunting, I joked. 
That's only if we're stranded in the blue Amazon. When I promised the boys I'd make them a good Australian dish, that wasn't what I had in mind. As I got closer, I saw that Connor had perched his back against the ant's nest. Shit, I said. If you were injured and immobilized, those bastards would have devoured you in minutes. Without saying another word, both of us picked up log twigs and pressed them into the nest. We extracted an angry mob of ants and instinctively lifted them to our mouths. They eat us or we eat them. Law of the jungle. Nice lemon taste, replied Connor with a smile and an ant guts between his teeth. Others heard of our special snack and came with sticks in hand. Ten additional calories didn't amount to the difference between life and death, but psychologically, boost was enormous. We got back to chopping down the trees with a bit more pep in our step. Later we discovered some heart of palm, which was bontified and rich in potassium, iron and vitamin Bs. We weren't about to expand tremendous amounts of energy chasing animals to eat. If John the Baptist could survive indefinitely on honey and locusts, then we could surely get through three days with little or no nutrition. Finding food often contributed to death in the wild, as most victims didn't know that their human body could survive weeks without it. Water was a different matter. By night time, morale began to drop, and men got into petty squabbles. We all moved like zombies. The rafts were only halfway completed, and the work was slowing. But our final sunrise gave us in the second wind, and we beavered away, finishing our escape vehicles. Our sole motivation was not being stuck in the jungle another miserable night. By midday, we had two rafts strong enough to withstand the ravenous river and carry us all to safety. We split into two groups to make sure the weight in each was even. We also divided the best swimmers, since they'd physically guide the boat and serve as lifeguards. Like Lewis and Ed in Deliverance, we were finally on our escape rafts, battling the rapids towards safety. The journey was going to as planned until we were a kilometre down and realised that we had quickly navigated across the river to avoid a forking distribution. Connor, in! a sergeant commanded. Connor didn't hesitate, as I believe he preferred being in the water than on the raft. He'd happily swim alone to our destination if allowed to. Darkly in! The next extraction came, as the sergeant realised that more horsepower was needed. 300 metres later, there were six legionnaires in the rapids pushing and pulling our craft across the current. Having eaten very little in the past days, every stroke was taxing. As my glucose levels approaching zero, my vision became blurry and I felt dizzy. I was about to pass out under the water. A kilometre later, my toes and fingertips finally made contact with the sandy bottom. We had somehow managed to push our raft across the current to the other slimy shore, our destination. We had made it. Our tasks completed for the day. Or so we thought. We pulled our rafts to the beach and everyone disembarked, giving high fives to each other in a celebration. All of our other gear was awaiting us on the bank. And then we heard the distinct sound of a Peugeot P4 Jeep. We looked around and saw a blonde mullet sporting driver chugging down the hill towards us. Petrov coming to shake our hands, I asked Connor. Rassemblement! Sergeant Petrov announced with a stern voice as his vehicle skidded to a halt. What the hell now? Connor asked in a whisper. Number 5 and 13, you have both just been injured. Lie on your backs, the rest of you grab your gear. Find a way to get your comrades to safety. I thought we were done, I bitched. 
We placed the poles over the stomachs of the injured and a pair of combats under the head and backs for the support while carrying them. With our palm leaf rope, we tied them from head to toe to the pole, like pigs on a spit. Safety lies through that gap, Sergeant Petrov continued as he pointed to a footpath that would take us back into the surrounding Amazon. Action, Gurwa! We rotated amongst four porters who transported the injured over, under, around various impossible obstacles. We couldn't have them underwater for more than a few seconds to avoid drowning the injured, nor could we drop them and possibly break their necks. Those poor devils were immobilized and entirely at our mercy. There wasn't a minute that passed without them cursing us or banging their heads against another tree or dragging them across a thorny bush. If you were really injured, you assholes wouldn't be complaining. So just enjoy the ride, we joked. After an hour of painstakingly manoeuvring through the thicket, we finally emerged onto a dirt road, which we knew led to where all of our misery had started. This was the beginning of the end of the toughest two weeks of my life. Ironically, with relief in sight and our bodies dragging, finishing the course felt bittersweet. By now we enjoyed the suffering and wanted even more. As we picked up our trot, our spirits rose and we all broke into song. Like a band of brothers running to victory, this is why I joined the toughest army in the world. We came around the last corner and could see Sergeant Petrov standing on the sandy parade square waiting for us. The first time ever we saw him smiling. Un, deux, trois, quatre. Un, deux, trois, quatre. Un, deux, trois, quatre. Sauva! Chanting in the cadence as we approached. State your business, Sergeant Petrov demanded. Sergeant Petrov, mission accomplished, our lead replied. Thirty minutes later, we were all dressed in neatly pressed combats at attention. Sergeant Petrov made his way through the entire section, personally shaking hands with every single one of us, pinning our jungle badge to our chest and saluting us. Darkley, you are now a jungle commando. Well done. Silva! I shouted loud enough for my family in Johannesburg to hear.